right, folks, we are in the middle of our summer series, and as you know, we always have a classic song to kick it off, so sit back and see if you know this one.
What about that? What about, uh, you know, you're in here right now and you're thinking, what is Jackson Brown doing in church on Sunday morning? Well, let me just tell you something, all right? We, that wasn't worship, that was a song. That's a big difference. A big difference between a song and worship. That's just the intro to the message today. So let me just jump right into the message, then we'll get down to the point. Psalm 13. I just want to take you to Psalm 13. So pull out your little phone. We're going to go to Psalm 13. Pull out your Bible. That's what this thing is that I'm carrying around up here. It's a Bible. Go to Psalm 13. This is going to make so much sense to you when we go through Psalm 13. Psalm 13 reads like this. For the director of music, that's how you know it's a song. Psalm 13 is a song, all right? For the director of music, a psalm of David, King David. How long? O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts that every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. And so we have this scripture that I want to look at in Psalm 13, where David is writing a song to God. And I wish to goodness that, you know, that they had like MP3 players or something back there where they could just like pass it on a couple of generations. And we could hear David singing this song. And we'd probably say, oh, dude, don't give up your day job. But still, all things said and done, he's a great poet. He really is. <clears throat> and here's this song about him saying, I am so dry inside. I am so tired. I am so weary. I am so much in need of you, God. I don't know how you want me to get through this day, move forward. I need you, God. I need you to be here because I'm running on empty. And I believe that very, very much. You ever been a place where you're running on empty, where you're just, you're just worn out? Man, maybe you've been working, you know, 12, 13, 14 days in a row. You haven't had a day off yet. You've been working 10-hour shifts. You've got to get this special project at the plant done or for the company or whatever it is that you're doing. Maybe you're a builder and you're trying to get this house done and you just cannot slow down. You've got to work right through it. And you're just at the place where you're snapping at people and you're crabby and you're, and you're just, you're just kind of like got a, a stinking attitude. And, and, and you're just like, but you don't understand, I am running on empty. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm not saying, I don't want to talk to you about are you facing big giants or big oceans. I don't want to talk about that. I'm just talking about the fact that sometimes we find ourselves really at kind of the end and we just need to sleep. We need to rest. Pastor Janice um, preached a message a couple of weeks ago and, and she said, listen, you've got to take time out and rest. You've got to take time out and go on vacation. You ever been on that vacation where you got home from vacation and you're like, I am so running on empty, I need a vacation from the vacation. And I don't mean that in a funny way. I mean that you are exhausted from being on vacation. And you're like, I don't know how, much, how I could go back to work tomorrow. I am so tired from being on vacation. God bless you for being on vacation that long. But anyway, I'm just saying that's what this is about. You're going through life, and, and you're just like, man, I'm, God, I'm wore out. I, I just need a break. I'm, I'm running on empty. I need you to fill me back up. Fill up my cup, Lord. I need something to happen. I was thinking about this when 
I began to think about the times that, you know, we go without food, you know, and I'm just talking about, you know, kind of work through lunch, and, you know, normally you take your lunch at 1130 or something, and suddenly you look up, and it's um, 1 o'clock, and you're like, oh, I'm so hungry, and what do you say? Oh, I'm running on empty here. I, I got to get some lunch. I'm tired, and some of you, you know who you are, okay, and some of you, you're like what I came to understand what this means. You're like hangry people, hangry, right? You know, you're like driving down the road, and and you, you see your, your spouse is driving. I don't care which one of you drives. And you're driving down the road. And it says, like, I'm hungry. And you're like, well, 27 miles to Bucky's. We could get something there. If you don't pull over and get something right now, this vacation is going to go south. And we're headed north. You know, and you know who you are, right? You need food. Okay? See, you're running on empty. And suddenly it starts affecting the people around you a little bit. And you're like, oh, no, oh, no. Well, I was thinking about how we do that in our physical bodies. You know, I, I just started, you know, um, looking at things like, what are the eating habits of people in America today? Some of you are like, oh, no, please don't bring up the eating habits of people in America today. Like, Joe, put that Oreo behind you so nobody can see it, okay? Because you know an Oreo is not even a real cookie, right? It's like there's like more chemicals and foreign stuff in that thing, but, man, they are good. Okay, but they are not good for you. Okay, except that, except that they, they make me happy. Okay, they make me happy. They, I'm just saying an Oreo, it makes me happy. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, it makes me happy until about 2.30 in the morning. And then all of that sugar just dumps all of that acid. And all that acid tries to kill me and drown me and just make me dead. And I have to sleep sitting up. You know, just for a little while. It's not a Tums thing anymore. It's like, oh, wow. Well, check this out. Verywellhealth.org um, says in an article from 2023, um, estimates indicate that starving, starving people become weak in 30 to 50 days and die in 43 to 70 days. Of course, this is all um, affected by various factors in your life. Generally speaking, the average person can go without food for three weeks, for 21 days, as long as they've got water. If they don't have water, then four days and you're out of here. Okay, that's, what, that's just what it says on the internet. And if it's on the internet, it's got to be true. Okay, so that's just what I read. But it's like, wow, what happens when we're running on empty? We're running on empty. And it's like we're starving ourselves to death. We're, we're killing ourselves. And that's what the psalmist is talking about. He's like, Lord, I am running on empty. I feel forgotten. I feel dry. I feel lonely. But I love that he feels hopeful because he says, but I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing a song to God, okay? Uh, man, things are tough. Lord, if I die, who's going to praise you? But I'm going to sing some songs to God because there's something about the presence of God in the praise of his people. There just is. There just is. And so he launches into Psalm 13 with, how long, Lord, how long will you forget me? I mean, I've, I've been there in seasons where I'm just like, God, are you walking with us? Are you here? Is this going on? Because if it was food, I could just stop and make myself a sandwich. I could do something, right? We're, we're not going to starve to death. We're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to do that. But what about spiritually? We don't always pay attention to ourselves spiritually. And, and, and sometimes we don't always eat right spiritually. But speaking of how we eat in America, just eating habits, you know that 90% of America has um, poor dietary habits. 90% of it. I'm not saying that like every once in a while you eat like a Little Debbie snack cake. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you think Little Debbie snack cakes like Oreos are a meal. 
So like if your wife comes home from the grocery and she puts the Oreos and says, I was thinking of you, you're like, I can have a sleeve of those babies polished off in about 15 minutes with a half a gallon of milk. And then your wife says, hey, what would you like for your supper? And you say, no, I'm good, right? Because you think a sleeve of Oreos is a, a meal. It's, you know, it's like, no, it's not a meal. You know, 25% of us don't exercise, and moving Oreos to your mouth is not curls. These are not curls, okay? I don't care what anybody says. This is not a curl, okay? You know, 10% of us don't eat enough vegetables in a day. 10%. Do you know in Kentucky, 5.6, excuse me, only 10% eat enough vegetables. In Kentucky, only 5.6% of us eat enough vegetables. This is the land of grannies, grandma, mamma, whatever you guys call her, zucchini. This is the land where if you can't grow anything, you can grow zucchini. How can only 5.6% of us be getting enough vegetables? Because when it rains like it has and the garden blows up, you can't get rid of the zucchinis. You can't. So how can it be 5.6 in Appalachia, America? I don't understand it, because you can saute those babies. You can grill those babies. You can put them behind your cat and scare your cat to death with those babies, <laughs> if you happen to watch crazy cat reels. Do you know that only 12% of us get enough fruit? Do you know that older adults eat more vegetables than younger adults? That's such a surprise, isn't it? I remember growing up, my parents couldn't shove asparagus down my throat. It was nasty. And then my parents had this fresh idea. They said, hey, there's not enough asparagus for you guys, so we're going to just go ahead and take that. And pretty soon they wouldn't give this. They wouldn't give us asparagus. Well, if your parents aren't giving you asparagus, there must be something good about the asparagus if you're like nine years old and that's your thinking. So suddenly you want the asparagus, and they won't give you the asparagus. And then they cave and they tell you how they're sacrificing, and they give you the asparagus, and you think you've conquered the world because you got the asparagus. But then you have to eat it. And I've just come to the place where I just, we just cook the asparagus and don't tell our kids. We just eat it ourselves. You know, it's almost that bad. It's not quite, but I love asparagus. Do you know that uh, Hispanic adults are more likely to eat their daily fruit quotient than white adults are? Is that not weird? That this article broke it down in those words just like that. Do you know that the higher your economic status, the more likely you are to eat vegetables? I was thinking about that for a couple of days, and I thought, that's the issue in my life. I'm not eating enough vegetables. If I would eat more vegetables, I would be wealthier. <laughs> Hang this work. I'm going to the grocery to get more vegetables. You know? It's like... I'm, I'm going to eat some, some uh, Brussels sprouts. Man, I, I think if you eat Brussels sprouts, you should get rich. You should. Like, this is like a superfood, okay, believe it or not. That, that Brussels sprouts, my mom, she couldn't shove those down my throat, and there was no amount of you can't have Brussels sprouts that got me to eat them either. It was not happening. Not doing it. But I just was looking at Brussels sprouts, and I thought, maybe if I eat more Brussels sprouts, that will take care of some of our bills around the house. You know, I, do, I mean, it's a thought. It could happen because the Internet says that wealthy people, they eat more vegetables. So there it is. It's an essential green, believe it or not, and uh, it kind of, for whatever reason, is always compared to broccoli. 
that broccoli is even a better green for you. The, the little flowery part of the broccoli is a better green for you. And evidently there's like broccoli people and Brussels sprout people and they like are at it with each other all the time. Now, you know, bro uh, broccoli you eat raw if you want to, okay? You can put it in a salad raw, stuff like that. Brussels sprouts you don't often eat. Normal people don't eat um, Brussels sprouts raw, okay? Um, you, I mean, you're like, you can peel the leaves off and eat them like my grandkids do, my wife's basil plant. I caught one of them the other day walking through the house, and she would go that way and take a leaf off the basil plant and eat it, and then she would go through that way, and then she would take another leaf off. I said, what are you doing? And she said, I like this. I said, we need that for, you know, spaghetti and stuff. And she's like, but it tastes good. So I picked a piece off, and I ate it. I thought, well, you know, okay, if that's what you say. I said, but stop eating it. Grandma's going to come home, and it's just going to be a stick, and there will be nothing left, and I'll be in trouble. So stop eating it. Brussels sprouts, same way. Okay, people just don't eat it raw. Okay, normal people don't eat it. And some of you are in here going, uh, I, I eat Brussels sprouts raw. You're not normal. <laughs> okay, and there's the evidence. I didn't say people don't eat it raw. I just said that the thing said that normal people don't eat Brussels sprouts raw. It's a superfood for you. It's a great thing. It's healthy. And here's the crazy thing is, I do like Brussels sprouts. I've come to a place in my life where if you'll just cut them babies down, simmer them in a pan with some butter, a little bit of garlic, little, you know, a little bit of herbs and stuff like that, I, I, I honestly think that they're not bad. They're good for you. But I was thinking about that. You know, it's, it's got vitamin E, vitamin K, vitamin C, all that stuff. And, and I was thinking about our spiritual diets. What are our spiritual diets like? Do you just eat Sunday to Sunday to Sunday? Is that your spiritual diet? You know, when you're running on empty and spiritually inside your heart, your life, you're feeling like, where is God? What's going on? Are you just counting on the sermon on Sunday morning? Or are you just, uh, you know, kind of going through life and not eating that much? And so I was, I was just thinking about that. You know, so there's a, there's a place in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, where uh, Moses just shows us an example of his daily time with God. And, and I would say that, hey, we need that. You're only going to be as spiritually strong, especially as we face the cultures that we face today. You're only going to be as spiritually strong as what you take in. You really will. And we can't be waiting Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. And I want to encourage you in this. In Exodus 33, it says, Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know who you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. But honestly, God, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people, Lord. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And I would suggest that there's a place in your life where you're starting to feel yourself spiritually dry, that you're not being super intentional about your relationship to God and there's a place where it's okay for us to go to God and say, God, I need rest. I need rest and I need to be near you because that's what Moses is saying. And then Moses said to the Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anybody know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing that you've asked because I'm pleased with you. Now, um, and I know you by name. And then Moses said, then show me, now show me your glory. And so Moses understood that the answer to him feeling spiritually dry was physically to be in the presence of God. 
He needed to be in the presence of God. This story goes on. I'm not going to read it to you, but it goes on from here. And um, Moses says, show me your glory, God. And God says, I'm going to do the very thing you ask. I'm going to put you in this cleft of the rock, and you're going to have to turn your back um, um, just a little bit because when I go by, you can't see my front. So all you're going to get to see is my back. So Moses got to see the back of God, not the back of a spirit, not the back of a ghost. He got to see the back of God himself. And he walked past him proclaiming, my name is the Lord, the Lord, infinite in wisdom and mercy, um, forgiving people for a thousand generations. He he proclaimed the, the, the depth of his name and who he is to Moses. And Moses knew that that was the answer for the dryness in his soul, in his relationship with God. He needed an audience with God. His passion was rewarded with God. You know, I don't believe the disciples were carrying around a Bible or a cell phone, either one, and so they didn't have access to version, and they didn't just open up their Bibles and say, hey, what's this going on? They were pretty much living experience, but they did learn a lot of the Torah and the, the Jewish oral traditions um, from their youth. I do not believe that every single one of the young men that was ever born to the Hebrew children learned those like sometimes we say they did, and, and I'm not buying that either. Um, but at the same time, we know that that was important enough that parents taught them to their children children and so they got the messages across as much as they possibly could and so there is that but what does your time with God look like because we know that the scripture tells us that various people spent time with God on a regular basis and when we're feeling especially dry it's usually not because God did something and left us He said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's because we get so busy that we don't realize. We get so busy um, even ministering to people that we forget to stop and be in the presence of God. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about various people in in the Scripture. Adam and Eve spent time with God every single evening. When Adam and Eve sinned, they covered themselves um, and tried to hide in the, in the bushes, and God came along and said, where were you? Because he came along in the cool of the evening, as was his um, normal um, mode. He would come and talk to the to children that he had made, and he would interact with them. So they spent time with God every day. Moses said to God, he was talking to God, and God was talking back to him, and he said, Lord, if you don't go up with us, then don't send us, because we need to be in your presence. Jesus regularly started his day alone in the dark with God on a mount somewhere. It would say that he went across to the Mount of Olives. He went up across the Gethsemane. He went across the valley. And he, he got up on there and he spent time with God. At one point, one of his disciples came and said, Lord, where, where, where have you been? Everybody's looking for you. And he's like, hey, I was there. And the scripture says that he was um, early in the morning with God, as was his habit. And I would encourage you that you need to, you need to feed yourself on various things. Sermons, personal readings prayer times, fasting, serving other people. And I, I would say that this would be a big one if you're feeling especially dry in your soul and you're saying, man, God, I am running on empty here and I really need you to come in here. That there's a place for you. When was the last time you shared your personal story about how God saved your soul or how you met Jesus with somebody that wasn't saved? I had the joy of doing that just not too long ago. I was sitting at a table um, with some sinners and um, lovely people that I loved desperately. Um, and one of the other Christian persons said, hey, can you tell me your story of when you met Jesus? And I was like, yes! And I said, yeah, I, I, I don't mind doing that. I'll, I'll share you that. It was all I could do. It's like seat belt in, be calm. Share the story. 
you're going to find this hard to believe. Keep it short. <laughs> yeah, everybody's nodding. You're all going to burn in hell if you don't straighten up and start loving on me a little bit. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, I'm just telling you that there was a place to do the nutshell version of Joe Wood's story and how he met Jesus and stuff like that. And sharing my story, I literally got up from that table and nobody got saved. It was just me sharing my story and they had to hear it. But I got up from that table and I really felt close to God. Not because suddenly I had done something absolutely magnificent, but there was something about sharing your testimony. Not that you're perfect, not that you're without fault, not that you haven't sinned, but that God loves you, God saved you, and you're not the person you used to be, but you're still journeying. And I, I find that a very, very beautiful thing. Sometimes the, the church in the book of Acts in chapter 2, it says the early church met daily. And can you imagine a, 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 a regular time with God where you had to come to church every single day? Check this out. In Acts chapter 2, it says every single day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They had lunch together. They came together. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God every day. And they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. People were getting saved because people were just meeting together daily. Can you imagine tomorrow morning you, you got to get up and you got to come to church and you got to, you know, be here at the church and, you know, we got to have like a half hour time together and then you can go off to work. Every single day. And I don't think anybody was keeping record, you know, attendance. But at the same time, it's like that was their habit. And, and we're what? Oh, man, I didn't have any time with God. I didn't stop with God. I didn't talk to God. I didn't pray to God. I didn't. Uh, listen, don't beat yourself up. I'm just saying if you're in here and you're running on empty, and you could be running on empty in a lot of different ways because I was thinking about that too. When, you're, when your walk with God finds you running on empty, then you need to back up and say, what are my spiritual habits, okay? But the same thing is true of other areas in your life because devotion time for me quickly turns into sermons or sermon series. I'll be sitting there reading something and God will just smack me right in the heart. And I'll be like, yes, Lord, that is so right. And if I could just make three points out of that real quick, that'd be a great message that I could do a standalone. Lord, what do you think about doing a whole sermon on this? Because if I take that movie title and I plug it in and suddenly I'm not having the time with God anymore, I'm trying to run church. And that's the sickness of pastors is making sure that everything is not about work. It's about our quiet time with God. And so I was thinking about this when I was thinking about when I'm running on empty, how do I go on? How do I go on when I'm out of husbanding? How do I go on when I'm out of parenting? How do I go on when I'm out of preaching? How do I go on when I'm running out of creativity, when I'm running out of energy, when I'm running out of friends, when I'm running out of patience, when I'm running out of sleep? I can go so many days and then I find myself, I need to crash. I need permission to crash. How about when I'm running out of money? How about when I'm running, how about when I'm running out of want to? When I'm running on empty because I just can't find the want to do the thing that I need to be doing. What about when I'm running out of hope? And I, like the psalmist, will say, God, where are you? How can I go on? I'm running on empty. When will you come to me, the psalmist said in that psalm. I think we need to be proactive and intentional. So let me give you this. We're going into the summer, 
And uh, you can pray for me, July 17, 18, and 19. Um, my friend Frank and I are going to go to the Red River Gorge, and we're just getting a little cabin. We're not taking any food except the food that he eats. It's way different than what I eat. So Frank is my dog. Um, and so we're, some of you are like, who's Frank? How come he gets to eat? Okay, because he's a dog. Um, and we're just going to be alone with God. I got a prophetic word from somebody a couple of months ago that I should go up on a mountain and sit and be quiet before God because he has something he wants to say to me, and so I'm going to do it. Um, it's scheduled, and it's, it's on the book. You can pray for me. But what are you going to do going into the summer? What are you going to do to stimulate, to empower, to enrich your walk with God when you're feeling spiritually dry? First of all, make a regular reading plan. What's your reading plan? Do you have a reading plan? Last fall, I made a reading plan. I was feeling dry, and I said, God, what can I do about feeling dry? And God said, you need to read more. Yes, you need to read your Bible, okay? Absolutely, okay? And read big chunks of it at a time. Turn the TV off and read big chunks. Read the whole book of John in one setting, okay? It's going to take you about three and a half, four hours. Just read the whole book of John. Just sit down and do it. Just, so you can say you did it. I, read the Bible cover to cover. Take, take three or four or five days off the work. Just don't go to sleep, and then you can be running on empty on sleep. Okay? Just read the whole thing. But let me give you a title that I would encourage you to read. Read a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. If you haven't read that book and you're saying, well, what book would I start with? Just start with that one just because. Okay? This summer. Decide that you're going to read five books, four books. I don't pick a number. I don't care. But stimulate your walk with God. Um, another one that you could be reading is The Same Kind of Different as Me by Ron, uh, Ken Hall. Ron Hall. Ron Hall. Outstanding spiritual book about something that took place in Fort Worth, Texas. What about More Than a Carpenter? Josh McDowell. You've heard the title so many times, but you never said It's just a little tiny baby book. Okay? What about the book of John? There it is. Okay. What about the whole Bible? I'll give you six months. Just don't fall off the, you know, the track. Think about that. Paul told Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, if I take that back to where I first memorized that out of the New King James, it says, study to show yourself approved. Study to show yourself. It doesn't say read to show yourself approved. It says study to show yourself approved. So in the midst of reading these books, take time to study your Bible. Don't just read it. Study it. See what it says. Get into why is this and why is that. Follow those little numbers and letters that keep popping up over top of the words or next to the words or things like that. Just follow those. for Just, just do yourself a favor and start following those and see where it takes you and what's going on. So, number one, make yourself a reading plan. Okay? Number two, meet with somebody or a couple of somebodies on a weekly basis. Do you meet with anybody that encourages you, inspires you, holds you accountable, will get in your face, will be honest, will laugh with you, pray for you, cry with you. Do you meet with anybody? I know we do small groups around here. I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm there. Okay? But you know that every Tuesday, I've, I've shared it from here, every Tuesday I get up and I'm at the coffee shop at 6.30. There's two other guys that I meet with. We go through a book because the Lord told me that I needed to read more. Number one, make a reading plan. So I made a reading plan and I thought, how can I be accountable? And I found a friend in this church who is a better reader and is just, I'm, this dude just, he just eats books, okay? And I said, how about if you and I get together and we pick books together and we bounce? So it's a leadership book or a spiritual book, a leadership book, a spiritual book, and we do that back and forth. And the three of us sit around and we hash it all out. And then we talk about men's stuff and we talk about different things. But we get together at 6.30. Now, some of you are like, 6.30? Oh, man, I could get another half hour of sleep in. Get up. 
you can also spiritually starve to death. Okay? I'm trying to encourage you here. Get out the bed. Now, some of you are like, you know, 6.30, man, I'm, I'm at the gym by 5.30. God bless you. Okay? Do an extra 15 minutes on the treadmill for me, and I will eat the cinnamon roll at 6.30 at the coffee shop. Okay? And that will be great. I'm just saying, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You want to grow spiritually? You want to be revived? You want to be refreshed? Start meeting with somebody. You know how iron sharpens iron? You know how iron sharpens iron? Whack! Like that. You know how iron sharpens iron? It's abrasive and it goes You take a file and you start It's like, we think, oh, as iron sharpens iron, so two brothers walk arm in arm, each carrying a sword and a shield. No! As iron sharpens iron, two brothers walk along banging heads against each other. Arguing. Fussing, fighting even, but then agreeing to disagree or coming to a new conclusion or growing or whatever it might be. You know, we don't have to throw rocks at people that don't agree with us. We really don't. But I will tell you this, if everybody you hang out with right now agrees with you, you're probably not going to grow. It is okay to get together and wrestle with why did Paul say this or why did Peter say that or why did John write this or did John really think he was the most favorite? What an what, what a arrogant disciple he is. Are you kidding me? Well, what about this? It's okay to do that and wrestle with things back and forth and then still be friends. We don't have to buy into the culture that we live in this says, if you don't agree with everything I agree with, then we can't be friends. I unfriend you. Really? We don't have to go there. As iron disagrees with other iron, as iron is rubbed raw against other iron, as iron bangs into other iron, iron sharpens iron. See? It's a benefit. Number three. Learn to pray. Say, learn to pray? What do you mean, learn to pray? I know how to pray. God, my Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I, I know that stuff. Hail Mary, the mother of Jesus. Okay, no, no, not the Catholic stuff. Okay, no, no, my bad. Okay, sorry, it's my upbringing. just kind of <clears throat> came out there. Um, but seriously, learn how to pray. I don't have to learn how to pray. I don't know how to pray. Just talk to God. God, are you here? It's, isn't it funny that we think that we know how to pray? And yet, and yet, in Luke 11... It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples to pray. What? You and I, are we better than the disciples? Because we already know how to pray. We know how to pray. We don't need somebody to teach us how to pray. Or is there something we're missing? Because even the disciples, for years watching Jesus pray, came up to him one time and said, hey, Lord, <laughs> Now that you're done, could you teach us how to pray? How do we pray? How do we do that? See, we need to learn. It's going to make them uncomfortable. We're getting ready to set a date for a vineyard prayer training. Okay? You know we're doing things a little differently at the end of our services here. But we just want to encourage more and more and more people to go through the prayer training and learn how to pray. And so, um, and it's just one method. It's not the method. It's, it's one method. And so we're going to have somebody in like we used to do way before COVID. But um, we would have somebody come in once a year. A lot of times in the summer or the early fall. And they would do a prayer training on a Saturday morning from 8 to noon. 
and, and we would learn how to pray, and it would make us really uncomfortable. It really would. It's, oh, it's, it makes us sweat, and it's like, we got to do this, and it's like, yep, we got to do these things, and we do those things, and we learn how to pray, and, and, and it's, it's a good thing. Learning how to pray is a good thing. Praying is a better thing. It doesn't matter if you know how, if you don't do it. See? So I would encourage you in that. And then the last thing that I would encourage you is serve. Where do you serve? Where do you, serve? Where do you actively, on a regular basis, once a week, serve the kingdom of God? At the end of the day, I need to do the doing and not just learn the learning. See? The scripture says that when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. This is right before he got crucified or actually arrested. But he said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet, because I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You won't be blessed if you know them. You'll be blessed if you do them. And we're talking about washing people's dirty, nasty feet. God said, you will be blessed when you wash people's dirty, nasty feet. You will be blessed when you serve other people. When you give, when you take care of, when you mow their lawn, when you, whatever it might be, you will be blessed. You will feel refreshed. You will know the presence of the Lord in the moment when you do the doing and not just learn the learning. In the book of Galatians, Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, we're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is filled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And love is a verb. Love is what you do. And so I wonder, are you feeling spiritually empty? Then I would say that there's a place there for you to stop and say, what kind of a reading plan do I have that I can be revived in my soul? Turn the TV off. Make some time. Who could you meet with early or late on a regular basis, weekly, that you could be held accountable for? Where could you learn to pray? I would encourage you that when the time comes that you stop and you say, hey, I'm going to take that training it's, it's going to come around and it's going to be a good thing. It'll be somebody from Vineyard USA that comes in and does it. But I would encourage you in this too, and, and I'm going to give this homework to you right this second. I'm just going to encourage you in this. This week, I want you to interact with a stranger that you do not know and ask them if you can pray for them. Now, some of you are sweating right now. You're like, oh, I don't think so. What do we do? Okay, I'm going to lay it out for you. I'm going to lay it out for you. Here you go. You're at the coffee shop. There's that person by themselves, And you feel like, oh, Lord, this is, I, I hear Pastor Joe saying to do this, and I don't think, oh, and you're starting to argue with yourself. You just walk over there. Just get outside of your own comfort zone. Just say, hey, hey, I just feel like I need to pray for you. I feel like the Lord's asking me to pray for you. Is there something I can pray for you about? 
And when they say, sure. Just pray for them. Don't make it long. Don't try to be flowery. Don't be like, ah, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I have the right words. You've got the perfect words. You've got the perfect words because you're you. Okay? Just simply pray for them out loud right there. Whoa, and out loud? And can I just take their name and mail it to them? Send them a text? Now, two people this week that you begin a pattern of saying, I don't want to just learn the learning. I want to do the doing. I want to pray for people. I want to bring the community. You don't got to stand on a soapbox and do it. Just do it, get it over with, and move on. And watch what begins to happen. And then pick a place where you can say, I want to serve. Where can I serve, Pastor Joe? Hope Food Pantry. Because I know the leader is going to go around to as many people as they possibly can and meet them and get their names and their numbers and invite them to serve. Okay, because that's what she's going to do. <laughs> I'm in so much trouble right now. I'm just saying that there is a place for you to serve the kingdom of God. There is. Your children, we don't want them to be babysat during church. We want them growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. And there is a place for you to partake of that as well. For you to go to Candy Worley, our children's director, and say, hey, how can I help on a scheduled basis? We're going to be planning long-term. We like to do long-term, whole semesters so that the kids have a person that they know is there every single time. It's been amazing how that has helped them. Amazing. Hey, sign up. Your moms, your dads, they're your kids. They're your neighbor's kids. They're little kids that you want to see come to Jesus. Sign up. They're your grandkids. They're your nieces and nephews. Sign up. Just stop and say, you know what? I can make a difference. I can revive my soul. I can empower my relationship to God by serving. And then there's always opportunities that we have, right, where we're, where we're doing an outreach. Hey, just say I'm going on the women's retreat. I'm going on the men's retreat. Just say I'm going to do it. Because if you at least position yourself where God is, that's different than what you're used to, where your busyness is conflicted with what you're trying to do, things happen in your life. Give it a shot and see what happens.